Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. This is Bakukul Deep Cult the 10th. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of Emperor of Ancelon by Douglas Niles. I will be sto uh, spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know what happens, don't watch this episode. Go read it yourself, come back, and let's have some fun with it. Now, I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. And always remind you that you can pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials by using my affiliate links also in the description. Um, again, this is my perspective, and we're all individuals, and so you may not agree with my perspectives on this particular novel. I would love to hear what you all think. So whether you agree or not, it's not important. What's important is that we're celebrating Dragonlance together and we're having a good time doing it. So if you're joining live, go ahead and throw up your thoughts in the live chat. And if you're watching after the fact, then let us know in the comments. Now, the way that these usually work, if you've never happened to watch one before, is I give you my pre-written review and then I just sort of riff and if there's any questions or comments in the chat, then I'll sort of bounce off of those and we'll just sort of hang out for a little bit. It's Friday. I got nothing else to do. I mean, I'm going to go watch Servant after this. And if you're not watching Servant, you're missing out on the best thriller series or suspense series on television right now. But it's great. You can check it out. Okay, so let's dive into this, shall we? <clears throat> the novel is broken into three distinct parts. Part one is called Seduction. This is where we meet Dulket Ariacus. And now I know some people say Ariacus, but that's like a mouthful of marbles to me when you could just let it flow Ariacus instead of Ariacus. You know what I mean? So I'm going to say Ariacus. If that bothers you, I don't know, you've got a great life <laughs> to have little tiny things like that bug you. <clears throat> this is where Dulket Ariacus learns about his past, well, how, where we learn about his past as a warrior, how he led warlording raids on ogres and fulfilled his revenge on ogres who had killed his father. All of this has made Ericus incredibly wealthy and with the desire to live in peace and put up his sword to enjoy his wealth. He travels to an acquaintance, Habar Akuk, a wealthy moneylender, to trade in his wealth for smaller coinage, easier for traveling. Habar offers him a locket with the portrait of a stunningly beautiful woman within it. Ericus looks at it and became entranced by it. Habar had mentioned, just sort of offhanded, that the woman may have been in a tower in the Calchas Mountains or something like that. So Ericus is then traveling to Sanction and wakes to discover the locket missing from his pack. He hunts the would-be thief into the mountains and discovers it's actually two thieves, two kender to be specific. He approaches them and finds the locket in their pack. They say that it's not his and that it, in fact, belongs to a woman who is locked in a tower called the Tower of Oberon. Oberon is a bandit lord who commands an ogre army. Ericus ends up killing the male kender, who is named Cornsilk Tethersmeat, and the female kender, Kepli, taunts him, enraging Ericus into killing her, but not before she gets a nice slice across his face. Then he heads off to where they mentioned that the tower was located. Ericus is infatuated with this woman and really, really wants to rescue her. He discovers the tower in the peaks of the Calchas Mountains and waits for patrols. He discovered one patrol with a human in armor, and so he ambushes him in order to don that armor and sneak into the tower. 
Once in inside, he heads to the top and discovers the lady in the picture. She is chained to the wall and says that the key is in the dungeon. She then tells him where a secret tunnel is located to get there, and Ericus finds the key, but also a dwarf who convinces him to let him go. They end up making a plan to use the dwarf as a distraction so that Ericus can rescue the lady. The plan goes off without a hitch until Ericus is returning up to the tower through the secret passage, and there are bars barring his way to get to her. So he starts to go back down and he discovers a bunch of ogres lying in wait in ambush. So rather than, I don't know, try to distract them or walk into it, you know, and sort of face them one-on-one, -on -one, he charges into them, surprising the ambushers, and ultimately kills them all, though he suffers near-mortal wounds himself. The final ogre, before Ericus kills him, tells him that this was all a setup and that the lady is actually in charge of the tower. Ericus then takes the regular stairway path up to the tower, uh, and there's another ogre waiting up there. After Ericus defeats it, he is on the brink of death. The lady appears to him, shining as if in glowing light. He wakes her in bed, in her bed, as she is actively healing him. It's not a euphemism. She tells him the good news. Uh, I'm sorry, she tells him that, well, yeah, that too. Have you heard the good news? Uh, she tells him that the gods never actually left and that she can, in fact, heal with their blessing, but will not say whose blessing it is. They spend the winter together having sex and eating the magically produced food, and Ericus is truly happy. This novel leans really heavy into Ericus's sex life. So if you don't ever want to hear what that's like, this is probably not the novel for you. So the lady who refuses uh, to give her name demands one single promise from Ericas, and that's uh, Ericas will do exactly as she wishes without question. He agrees, and in the summer, when Ericas tries to get the lady to leave the tower and travel to sanction with him, she abjectly refuses and tells him to kill her. That's right. She says, it is my God's will that you kill me you agreed to do the one thing without asking, do it. So <laughs> it takes some coaxing, but ultimately Erica's follows through. And in return, uh, she will allow him to stand by her. Um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. And in turn, as he was doing it, an avatar of Takesis sort of springs out of all the cuts from her body. Takesis demands that Erica's follow her. And in return, she will allow him to stand by her side course, Eric is in the face of a god, agrees and sets off to sanction for others who seemingly await him, as Tachesis has been testing Erica's his whole life up until this point. That's right. Um, not only did uh, Hakar, oh, where's his name? Habar Akuk, he was actively working for Tachesis. Those two Kender were put there by Tachesis, and arguably even the dwarf who led the sort of uh, distraction for him so that he could sneak up to the tower was working for her. So that part two of this is called corruption. And this deals with how Ericus arrives in sanction and helps to create the first draconians, which again, this is different than the way we've all been led to believe draconians were created. So it kind of bothers me a little bit, but still, it's a great story. So Ericus arrives in Sanction, sells his locket and all of his other items for money, ends up buying a massive stone mansion, and explores the town of Sanction, 
before uh, traveling to the temple of Luricasis. How do you guys say Luricasis? It's a really strangely spelled word. It's got to be Luricasis, right? Anyway, as he arrives, Rillish Parcane, another crazy spelled word. It could be Rilish. Rillish sounds better to me. Rillish Parcane, the high priest, meets him and takes him on a tour of the temple. They go to the catacombs where they are introduced to many dragon eggs and the corruption of some of them. It turns out a Zakar dwarf, remember those dwarves that are like uh, suffering from mold and disease and stuff? It snuck into the catacombs and prompted a bronze egg to spill out a bunch of like mutated lizards after exposure to his mold. Rillish believes the mold of Zakar can assist them in forming the creatures in the eggs and asks Erika's to bargain with a dwarf named Tail Splintersteel, a Zakar leader here in Sanction, to trade mold with the temple. As Erika's travels to the inn where Tail is rumored to be located, he meets the dwarf from the tower he released named Pharos Windchisel. Pharos is looking for Tail as well, but to enter Zakar. The Thorbarden dwarves are searching for their lost kingdom as there are rumors of war. Point two that bothers me. We're in a time where the dragon armies don't exist yet. They haven't even been formed. Ericus is going to be the dragon army's leader. Draconians don't even exist yet. So where's this rumor of war coming from? Like this novel is talking about how Quilinisti is all up in arms about this rumors of war and that Thorbarden is actively looking for their lost kingdoms in order to unite all of the different dwarven clans together, all the different kingdoms, to fight off this rumored war that's to come. But there's no war for there to be rumors of at this point. It's a really lazy way of trying to set up some sort of fear for what is to come without actually logically paying it off. It's lazy writing, and it makes zero logical sense. You see this a lot in Dragonlance books. I still like them, though. What are you going to do? So I don't buy it. Either way, they approach Tail in the inn, and on sight of the Hylar, Tail demands that Erika's kill him if he wants to talk with him. Of course, Erika's refuses, and the Zakars all... Uh, plural Zakar is still Zakar, right? Or Zakar, right? I don't know. I'm going to say that. As the Zakar all attack, they are as many of them to fill the inn. Erika's calls on the might of the sword that Takesis granted him and defeats every single one of them, escaping with Pharos, who is mortally wounded. He takes him back to the temple and demands that Rillish heal the Hylar. Rillish straight out refuses to heal him, saying that, Erika's, you should do it. He teaches him how to reach out to Takesis for power, and he successfully heals Pharos. This begins Erika's dive into the culture and history of Tekesis and her view of history. He trains with an impressive priest warrior called Lyrali, and he has Pharos stay with him in his estate. He's growing more and more confident in his leadership and powers when a random Zakar tells him that Tail would like to meet with him again. This time, Pharos joins him in hiding, and they meet Tail, who really only wants Erika's magical sword. Tail casts darkness, and Erika's fights through the assassins with the power of the sword. Pharos pins Tail down with a crossbow bolt, and as Tail is bleeding out, Erika's brings him to the temple. If he's unwilling to trade the mold, he will be the provider of the mold himself, as the mold grows on people. So as they get there, Erika's and Lyra Lee take Tail down to the catacombs, but then they're ambushed by shadow people. 
And in an interesting note that I don't recall reading anywhere else, the shadow people refer to themselves as... Where are you? Because I know I made a note. <clears throat> Shilothaeum, which doesn't mean anything, but it's just kind of cool that they have a different name for themselves than everyone refers to them. So anyway, they don't want the mold to corrupt the precious dragon eggs. So after realizing that the shadow people read their minds, Erika's and Lyra Lee fight through their captivity and escape with the tail. Uh, they're met by Rillish and Drakkart. You remember that uh, Rillish is the evil priest of the Temple of Luricasis, and Drakkart is the black-robed magician that helps Rillish and a dragon corrupt the dragon eggs in the lore that we understand. This book changes that with replacing the dragon with the mold. So it's the priest, the wizard, and mold that make drag, uh, draconians in this book. They all head to the catacombs into the ritual chamber and use the Zakar's mold and both arcane magic and divine magic to corrupt the egg, which results in ten draconians. Erika's takes the holy symbol and demands the draconians serve him and their dark queen, and the baby draconians kneel in supplication. Part three, which is called Triumph and Treachery, is about Erika's making a trade deal with the Zakar, conscripting them to his cause and soldiers, uh, as soldiers and earning his mount, the Red Dragon, Tombfire. This red dragon sounds awesome, by the way. It starts with Erika's, Lyra Lee, Pharos, and Tail all traveling to Zakar, the kingdom. Pharos is trying to determine if the Zakar are worth being comrades with, and Erika's is setting up a trade deal for the mold. They're ambushed on the way and only escape by Zakar, and only escape because of Erika's sword, which blasts fire at each of them, incinerating the Zakar. So each time Erika's uses the sword, it transforms to a new dragon's like breath weapon, ostensibly. It starts with white, which is how he fought out of the inn and, and defeated all those Zakar in the inn, and then it changed to black. Um, I actually don't remember when he used black, now that I'm thinking about it. But there was, oh, it was when he was ambushed, when he was supposed to meet Tail in the town square. So he used black dragon fire, in, or the, the acid, to kill a bunch of the Zakar assassins there. And then it turned to red. Now, at this ambush, as they're heading toward the kingdom of Zakar, he uses the red fire dragon breath weapon that the weapon has, and kills all of them there, and then it turns to blue. He doesn't want to use the blue one because there's this prophecy that Tachesis mentioned to him about finding the heart of the world and using lightning to burn it open or something. So he's insistent about not using the blue. They arrive at the kingdom and Erikus breaks in with a knock spell, surprising the residents. He demands to see their king. Now here's something that I'm a little bit confused by. I thought knock was a wizard spell. Priests in Dungeons and Dragons, I'm talking advanced Dungeons and Dragons slash second edition. Did they have knock as a spell? I think that's kind of weird. Anyway, he demands to see their king once he gets in. The king's name is Rax Ironcog. They reluctantly present him to the king where Erika's requests a trade relationship. The king only has eyes for Erika's sword, however, not in his trade proposal. The king sets up a dinner for them to discuss it, where all of the food is poisoned. Ericus blesses and purifies the food to the king's dismay, and the king tells them that he will then show them the mold. They travel deep into the mountain and cast blindness on them, abandoning them in the middle of the, the deep, dank, mold-encrusted 
crusted fungus denizen, like den, I don't know, caverns. Pharos has contracted the mold disease and uh, he, and oh man, I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry, guys. I usually mark my spot when I start ranting. They travel deep into the mountain and cast blindness on them, abandoning them after killing Lyverly. A massive mold fungus monster attacks and nearly kills all of them. Pharos has contracted their mold disease and his broken leg and an arm. He demands that Erika's flee to survive and leaves him there. Erika's ends up fleeing, running through the tunnels, unsure where he is, but feeling drawn to a specific location. Erika's realizes that the Dark Queen is guiding him and climbs down a fissure into the mountain onto a small ledge overlooking this massive cavern which contains a monstrous-sized uh, suspended cage that is imprisoning a red dragon. After the dragon fear subsides, about an hour later, Erika's calls out to the dragon. They share their devotion to the Dark Queen, and the dragon named Tombfire says that he will lead the dragons in the army Erika's will build as Erika's leads the army itself. Erika's uses the sword to blast lightning, finally using that blue uh, breath weapon, breaking the cage apart, and Tombfire and Erika's dive down into the mountain and work their way to the kingdom of Zikar once more. They enter the throne room where Erika's has Tombfire burn the king's treacherous advisor as the king's rival, Wes Lavastone, breaks out of his captivity and kills the king. Erika's dismounts and kills Tail for his attempted ambush and sanction, and no longer asks for the mold, but demands it. Wes is crowned king of the Zakar, pledges loyalty to Erika's, and provides Lizard Mountain Zakar, Lizard Mounted Zakar, to his army. He also begins trade with the Mold as Erika's travels back to Sanction on Dragonback. What I really, really liked about all this is Erika's perspective here. He grew up in an area where dragons have not been seen for a thousand three hundred and fifty some odd years. It has been a millennia. Of, of uh, years. I mean, that's that's so long that everyone in Ancelon right now thinks dragons are children's myths, stories. They don't think they're real at all. And so when it's brought up that the Dark Queen will bring dragons out again, Erika's is like, whatever. Just like when it was brought up that there were gods that could heal him, he was like, whatever, until he saw his face healed and his bones healed from the ogre assault. Then he started believing in the gods, saw the avatar of Queen Takisa, still didn't believe in the dragons until he was face to face with one pissing his pants. I think that's great. I love the immersion that even a person who is uh, really groomed by Takisa to lead her armies from birth led all these challenging situations because Takisa wanted to test him. Even he disbelieves in all of this stuff until faced with it. It's great. Anyway. When he arrives in Sanction, Relish informs him that the Shadow People have taken the eggs for protection, and Erika says that he's going to take care of it with his sword, which is now the green color, the last of the colors. Of course, it's going to breathe out chlorine gas, kill every single one of those Shadow People in the den that they're holding the eggs in, and he's just going to bring the eggs back and then corrupt them all. So this is how a villainous Dragonlance novel should be written. Erika's makes a close friendship with Pharos, but understands his devotion to his queen supersedes everything else. Love, friendship, everything. This is a fantastic book that I would recommend to anyone who cheers for the bad guys in movies or just loves Dragonlance lore. It is definitely worth your time. One interesting note that it brings up is that 
Tachesis tells Ericus he can have any woman he wants, but the woman, whomever he sleeps with, will not live through the year. So it's constantly on his mind as he's like with Lyra Lee, he really wants to sleep with her, but he's like, if I sleep with her, she's going to die within a year. I don't want her to die, you know, because she's a great fighter. And another thing that's interesting about this, the priests of Tachesis, they're allowed to use edged weapons, not like every single other priest of <laughs> every game ever, which I thought was interesting. Like they were fighting martial arts style. They were using edged weapons and they were still calling them on the powers of Tachesis and she was answering them. So kind of cool. Anyway, Chris, how you doing? Good to see you, man. That's okay. Life happens. Let's see. Uh, was Eric as good at war strategy? Don't know. We assume he was because it talks about how in the very beginning, how he led all of these different warlords campaigns against ogres and goblin hordes and stuff, and he won them all. And so I assume he's great. After reading both books, which was better, villain, Verminard, or Erika's? Uh, and who would have been a better emperor? Well, in this particular case, definitely Erika's, because he didn't have a shit story. <laughs> uh, why is this book so expensive? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people are hike up their prices because they know it's rare. They haven't put this out for Kindle yet, which means that all of the paperbacks, which are not being reprinted, are now rare, and so people exploit that. It's basic economic supply and demand, really. Uh, hey, Goldman, how you doing? Graphite Dragon, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. All right, so that is really it for this book. It, it was really good. I, I would say that the cover art has nothing to do with the actual book. I don't know what he's doing here, but that never happens. <laughs> And in fact, he never even has the Dragon High Lord armor that he's wearing in there, assuming that's Dragon High Lord armor uh, at all, because the Dragon armies haven't been made yet. Like, it ends with him intent on forming them after he creates his Draconian army, but the armies have not yet been formed at all. So, yeah, he totally looks awesome. Oh my gosh, Last of Us. Oh my gosh, on Sunday. Tonight, though, Servant. If you haven't watched it yet, do yourself a favor. It's really good. All right. Anyway, that is my review for Emperor of Ancelon by Douglas Niles. Was Erica's too likable in the story? Did you appreciate the slave-like devotion to Kisa's demands from her followers? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. Thank you so much for joining the celebration. Once again, my name's Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Until next time, Slanjavar.